you, Blaze. It's been all, uh, see, I'm pretty excited to get up here. Um, didn't start that way, I'll promise you that. Um, and you'll find out a little bit more about that in a moment. But, uh, you know, as we, as we got together and started dividing up who was going to talk about the different sections uh, about the life of Joseph and the story of Joseph, I got assigned Genesis 40 and 41, and I got to tell you, I was very tempted just to come up here, read those two chapters, and dismiss us. Um, but don't worry, not going to read all of them. Um, I think the, the, the Lord has put a, a very special message on my heart, and I'm really excited to share it with you today. Um, so what, what I want to do, first start off with just talking about a little bit of the early years of St. Andrew. And some of us were fortunate enough to go on mission trips to Reynosa, Mexico. And I think, there we go, there's a slide. That's, trust but verify. Uh, while we were there, we were encouraged to be on alert for what were, what were deemed Jesus sightings. And I think, let's see, Mike, Brent, myself, John Mannon, um, we, were, we were, I guess we're, we're part of that last remnant uh, of the Reynosa trips. And of course, Janet wouldn't have been there without Janet, so... Uh, but we were encouraged to look for Jesus sightings. And I'll just give you a couple examples. For instance, when Steve Ecker broke down in tears while he was holding a family's infant daughter at the dedication of their newly built house, which was the size of a tool shed, I saw Jesus. When Phil Reynolds prayed for the salvation of a girl he'd just met and she accepted Christ into her life that very night, I saw Jesus. And when another girl from our group gave her shoes to a virtually barefoot man, I saw Jesus. And then there was Hector, a little boy who called me Charlie Chad. As we started building his eventual home, which was literally on top of a trash heap near a prison, Hector walked around the site, picking up every bent nail that we discarded. At first, we thought he was just being helpful. But then Hector started asking for a hammer. Now, we did our best to politely tell him we couldn't give him one. And in the back of our minds, we worried he was going to hurt himself or damage the work we'd done while trying to hammer a bent nail into the house. So we took lunch, and when we returned, we saw that Hector had gotten his hands onto a hammer. And when I saw not a bloodied kid, not damaged to the work that we had done, but a pile of previously bent nails all made straight, I saw Jesus. Now I offer this as a couple of different pretexts for today's message. The first is a reminder that much like the crucifixion of Jesus, something that may be meant, by man at least, for harm or even evil, can indeed become the catalyst for something better. That theme has been the primary backdrop of the series, so it bears repeating here today. Likewise, a couple weeks ago, Len pointed out some similarities between Joseph and Jesus and their lives. Today, we'll get a little deeper into some of those. And the second pretext is a callback to the message Lauren shared before that. When Joseph dreamt that he saw 
his family bowing to him. His brothers at the time were incredulous. What a preposterous idea that we would bow to you, our little brother. They mocked him saying, here comes the dreamer. Now let's pause here for a minute. I don't know about you, but I do know I've been called a dreamer both as a compliment and as an insult. I find that people sometimes like to ridicule the things they find to be unbelievable or to discourage those who have the courage, or maybe ignorance, to go after what is, for the moment at least, impossible. Sometimes they ridicule what they fear or don't understand, and sometimes they think they know what someone else is thinking when they really have no idea at all. Simmer on that as we have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray your blessing on the the message that you've instilled in my heart today, and I pray that you would speak through me. I pray your worship, this worship would be pleasing to you and God-honoring, honoring to you, uh, and just ask that you do away with all distractions, all other thoughts. We give them all over to you, Lord, everything so that we might rightfully focus on you and your word. pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Now, I also got to ask, bear with me. I'm hoping that my voice holds up. I've practiced this a few times, and every time I'm in dire thirst. So I don't do this for a living. Now, when we pick up the accounting of Joseph in chapter 40, Joseph's in prison. And for whatever reason, Pharaoh gets ticked off at his cupbearer and his baker. So he puts them in the same confinement area as Joseph. Now, even if we didn't already know from last week's message that Drew shared, we can conclude Joseph has some form of authority since the captain of the guard assigns the cupbearer and the baker to Joseph's watch. The men, whom I think not so coincidentally signify bread and wine, a very obvious Jesus sighting, are sometime later more than just curious about their dreams. They're visibly upset. They're sad even. It's in this moment we see Joseph enter into the picture, bringing with him a compassion probably not expected of a fellow prisoner or prison official. And likely just as Jesus would, Joseph asked why they were distressed and sad. He inquired, and they responded in Genesis 40, chapter, or chapter 40, beginning on verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to them, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, 
I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, and the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. There's a couple things I want to highlight here. The first is there's the repeated refrain of three days later. Often when studying the Bible, if we see the same thing repeated in multiples, we should probably take note and understand it to mean something significant. Of course, there was not yet any knowledge of Jesus' life in the flesh, but we who are on this side of history know full well the significance of three days later. It's a Jesus sighting. Next, look at the two men and their peculiar dreams. On the one hand, we have a cupbearer who's no doubt delighted to hear the good news of his coming restoration. How great to know the king will forgive him and restore him, right? But then along comes the baker. He was probably just as excited thinking Joseph would give good news to him too. But Joseph instead says, yeah, about that. Sorry, Mr. Baker, but you're going to be toast. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. Now, as this account shows, Pharaoh did indeed restore his cupbearer, and despite this, he didn't remember Joseph, leaving Joseph to continue his imprisonment. And oh yes, the baker, he was toast. It's here I'll offer to you as a Jesus sighting a reference from the passage from Luke that was read today. In verses 23 to 43, at the scene of Jesus' crucifixion, there's two other men, just as Joseph was imprisoned with two other men. And just as in the case with Joseph, these men are labeled as criminals. As they're both experiencing their execution alongside Jesus, one casts insults, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, you dreamer. The other criminal, among other things, asked Jesus to remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sort of similar to what Joseph requested of the cupbearer, is it not? another Jesus sighting. Moving now into Genesis 41, we pick things up two full years later, and Joseph's still imprisoned. He's still forgotten. And now Pharaoh's having dreams. He's seeing a pasture along the Nile River, seven fat cows eating well, and along come seven famished cows that eat the seven healthy ones. In Pharaoh's second dream, he has a similar scenario played out with heads of grain. Pharaoh with all his power and all his might, he consults every wise man, every magician, and nobody can interpret them. Finally, the cupbearer who was restored and asked to remember Joseph says, you know what, I remember this guy. This guy I met while you had me imprisoned. You were mad at me about something. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. When the baker and I told him our dreams, he said I would be restored, and I was. He also said the baker would be toast, and yeah, well, the baker was toast. And Pharaoh says, very well, get this guy, this Hebrew, get him up here. So Joseph cleans up, shaves, and changes his clothes. That's a whole other sermon for another day. 
could have gone a lot of different directions, but there's one right there. Uh, goes with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gets right to the point. He says, I've had dreams that nobody, not the smartest, not the wisest in the entire land can interpret. So I'm going to tell you my dreams. What have you got for me? How did Joseph respond? Who knows that? He says, I'll interp- I interpret only by the graceful gifts of God. That's my paraphrase. It's not a direct translation, of course. But he gives all praise, all credit to God. And then he shares that the dreams both mean the same thing. A coming period of prosperity followed by one of famine. And then we pick up here in Genesis 41, verses 28 to 33, when Joseph says, this will happen just as I described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Now, Joseph, as any good business consultant would do, offers more than just a state of affairs. He makes recommendations for going forward. He suggests that Pharaoh find a chief executive officer of sorts. And as we pick things back up here, reading verses 39 to 43, we see Pharaoh's response. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in a chariot reserved for his second command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. Here, if we reference back to Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 that Blaise shared, we see another Jesus sighting. Remember in that passage, Jesus wasn't toast. He was restored to his glorious status that he held prior to taking on human form. His God-given identity sees him given rulership over the whole earth, where every knee would bow to him, just as Joseph was given authority over the known land by Pharaoh, who was the earthly king of the time. Now, by now, I'm sure you've figured out today's not a lesson on dream interpretation. So my apologies if you came here expecting for dream interpretation 101. But heck, I got to share, I kind of thought that would be the case when I started preparing this message. I mean, how could I not? So let's indulge that for a moment. We already kind of touched on it. Do you see where Joseph gives away the secret to dream interpretation? where he tells everyone exactly how he interprets dreams. It's a skill given to him only through the power of God in him. Now, in today's world, the easy answer is always Jesus. 
even when it's not obvious. And while I don't think dream interpretations among my spiritual gifts, I know you don't have to be a dream interpreter to see Jesus. And I'm going to share with you how I know that. Last March, the Gramlings did a family trip to Chicago, and we made a stop at the Museum of Science and Industry. We came to a room so massive, it housed a full-size jet, and it made the jet look small. I had a quick callback to a dream I'd had many times over. My brother and I were in this very room, meeting up with my mother and father. I chalked it up to having been at the museum when I was little, and this was just kind of a fragment of a memory. But still, it was kind of eerie. It wasn't nearly as eerie as when we entered into a long navy blue-colored room that had a set of stairs on either side. It was directly across from the entryway, and I froze in my steps almost instantly. I asked Jennifer if we'd been here before because I had a very distinct memory of grown-up Chad in this room. And I was on the stairwell with a group of peers that I didn't really know. It was really strange. It was bewildering. I could recall someone sharing about how that room was dedicated to celebrating the work and the lives of different heritages and cultures. Some might even call it a multitude of nations. And sure enough, during that visit, the display in that room was dedicated to the work of African-American students. So I kind of walked around the room, walked through all the exhibits. I was pretty amazed and befuddled, kind of confused. I kept asking, had I dreamt this? And if I did, what did all this mean? And of course, I started thinking about this message I'm sharing with you today. And it was in the very, very, very early stages of development. And I eventually concluded I'd been in this room in this place as part of a business conference excursion and I was really frustrated because my memory was not nearly as good as it once was. But still, I wondered if God was talking to me. Perhaps he was talking to me about the overall message of this series. This is where I'm going to confess very candidly. I was less than enthused when I found out our sermon series would be on Joseph. I simply couldn't get past the coat. I mean, how many times do I have to hear about this dang coat? See, you all, you all know what I'm thinking. I, I mean, I get it. It has a lot of colors. It made his brothers jealous. And yeah, I've seen the musical. Coincidentally, that's going to be at the outdoor theater this summer. Definitely check it out when it's time. But moving on, truth be told, I was actually thinking about weaseling out of my commitment to talk today at that time, all because of this dang coat. And I pondered all these thoughts as, then I turned the corner and came face to face with one last exhibit. For those of you who are without the benefit of what's shown in the visual, I'm going to describe it. This exhibits an artist's rendering of a see-through raincoat with a lot of see-through pockets. And in every single one of those pockets are a lot of colorful objects, erasers, pushpins, paper clips, beads, candies, literally hundreds of objects maybe thousands, in many different colors, shapes, sizes. You might even call it a multitude. How's that for a Jesus sighting? That was the moment I realized I had to fully commit to this and learn the bigger picture of the Joseph story. So we've pretty much run the gamut today, haven't we? Dreams, art, raincoats, restoration, toast. Let's distill this into a few key things we can take out into the world this week and beyond. The first one 
is to remember to put Jesus in charge. How often are we more like the brothers of Joseph, laughing at the idea that we would bow to anyone but ourselves? How many times do we doubt the dreamer, whether it's someone else or ourselves? How many times would we just rather be more comfortable knowing what we already know or believe to be true? If we had full faith in God and did indeed allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, we'd give up those positions of comfort as the top dog. In today's lesson, we see Joseph literally go from prisoner to consultant to CEO of Egypt. Happened because God ordered Joseph's life, yes, but also because he put God in charge. The second takeaway is to remember to look for Jesus' sightings. We experience hardships in life. There's no denying that, and I'm not even going to begin to suggest everything should be coated with candy and roses. In fact, even if it were, it'd probably bring diabetes and allergies. But what does Jesus say? He says, I'm with you in Matthew 28, 20. Not only that, but he is our advocate, as it says in 1 John 2, 1. Is there anyone better to pen a letter of recommendation on our lives? I say all this to point out that Jesus is with you. So remember him. I have no doubt we all encounter Jesus' sightings on a daily basis. And we often miss them because we're caught up in the inner drama of our lives instead of focusing on our walk with Christ. It might be something miraculous, or it could be something simple like a sunrise, a smile from a normally grumpy coworker. Maybe a light rain shower after a period of 90 degree days. Third takeaway is to remember your identity in Christ. We've already mentioned that Joseph gives all glory to God for the gifts he has. When Joseph goes from consultant to CEO, we see Pharaoh give his signet ring to Joseph. That was no light honor. That was the most powerful person in the then known universe or world literally giving his full identity to Joseph and saying, do whatever you do with my full identity and likeness and authority. But what if God did that for us? He certainly did it for Jesus. But the truth is, he has done that for us. Remember, we're created in his image. That means we must take to heart and question if our words, our actions, our deeds, even our thoughts are worthy of representing the true king. Bless you. And why is that so important? Well, this leads me to the fourth and final application. Remember to be a Jesus sighting in the lives of others. You might be the one connection someone needs to make the difference between prosperity and famine or restoration and toast. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your words today. I pray that you spoke through me, and none of this is about me. I pray that as we go about the, our, our days and our lives from here on out, that we remember you in, in these ways and more. Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.